You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, 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 everybody. I'm Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. And to those of you listening in the United States, happy Memorial Day. Hope you guys are celebrating safely and being with friends and family on this day that we celebrate the men and women who sacrificed their lives for our freedoms and liberties here in this great country. And to those of you who have a, a family member who has fallen, thank you so much for your family sacrifice. Now, on this episode of Drinks with Johnny, I am joined by legendary producer John Feldman. He's had an amazing career, as you'll hear getting into it, um, from his days in Goldfinger and just wanting to be in a punk band, a ska punk band, and uh, just here in Southern California, basically, just starting out as a guitar player, singer, um, drummer at heart, as he says. I mean, he comes from everything. His father was one of the the main scientists that helped build the rocket that sent the men to the moon. Um, he's got an incredible story there. There's so much more to get into. But I'm going to take one second to tell you guys about Sweet Drop CBD oil. Now, there's a lot of things out there about CBD oil and cannabis oil that uh, I'm not going to wax intellectual on it w- with you. I, I don't... I'd, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but I will tell you, if you head over to sweetdrop.com, you'll learn everything you need to know about CBD. I just had my morning dose. It really does just kind of relieve stress in these uh, uncertain times. And if you just go out there and and go to sweetdrop.com, use use promo code drinks with Johnny you'll get 20% off your first order this is something that I that I enjoy that's something that that I that I back it really does help um, everything that it says it's going to do just I'm not going to tell you everything that it does I'm not going to give you a whole spiel just go over to sweetdrop.com use promo code drinks with Johnny you'll get 20% off your order you'll learn everything you need to know about CBD oil and this specific one sweet drop comes from an organic form uh, organic marijuana farm in Oregon, so make sure you head over to SweetDrop.com and get your get your order today. Um, we're gonna keep going with uh, John Feldman today. He's oh man, just so much to get into. Uh, we have a lot of mutual friends here. You'll hear at the end. There's a, a nice little fun thing that that we did for John. Um, kind of a this is your life, if you will. And we got a lot of uh, people that he's worked with and good friends of his. And uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Had a great chat with John. And uh, again, he's just a good dude and uh, a, a rad producer. Uh, we get into music, we get into everything, um, and basically everything that he's done in his life. So 
that's pretty much my spiel. I hope you guys enjoy it. Again, happy Memorial Day. And without further ado, I bring you John Feldman. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Today, I am joined by legendary producer, overall kick-ass rocker dude, uh, John Feldman. How you doing today, man? I'm doing so good, man. Thank you for having me very yeah, of much. Of course. Thanks so much for being on. I mean, you, you've got so much going on, um, and you still ju- manage to juggle family life, too. You got a wife and two kids. How old are your kids again? 11 and 14. So... It's crazy. My daughter, who's 11, has now like totally gotten into Fortnite, which my son was like super addicted to last year. Now, like my <laughs> my daughter's like just shooting. This is crazy how things kind of change. Dude, I can't wait to get there. I got a three-year-old son, and he's <laughs> I hate to say it, but he's just now getting to the really fun stage where he's like my little buddy, and we get to yeah. like play Nintendo together and stuff. You know, it sounds terrible. Like I didn't love him before, but no, I did. It was just. It's a lot, there's a lot cooler stages, as you know, that you've already gone through so many of them that I haven't yet. Oh God, I missed it. I missed being able to just hold them. And I mean, I still sing them to bed. It's not like that much has changed. My son boxes with me now and um, they hate surfing. I try and take them out in the water and they're just like, I think they've seen too many ads for like 47 meters deep or whatever those oh, like they're afraid movies. Of sharks. <laughs> they're just like, they just look at the, in the water and it's just like, they just think it's sharks everywhere. So uh, Whatever. Like, I know. actually didn't start surfing until I until I moved closer to the beach. But I grew up here a whole time in Huntington. Never surfed until I turned 25. I have no idea why. I did junior lifeguards. I was never afraid of the water. I just had no. It just slipped by me for some reason until I turned 25. It's really weird. It takes so much dedication to be like the the competition when you're out there. There's so many people like struggling for the same wave. Oh, dude. And then you just your balance, your exercise, like the whole thing is just like. You just got to be dedicated. You've got to really totally. want to do it's, it. It's a lot like uh, it's a lot like golf. I don't know if you golf too, but it's like that. You have to like stay repetitive to actually learn how to do it. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not something you just aside from fucking Ian who just said he just picked that up and like just started shredding the first time he was out there. That pisses me yep. off. But <laughs> I know. I feel like you got to. I mean, it takes takes a lot of dedication, as you said. That's 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 the only yeah, hard man. thing about it. <clears throat> I grew up with surfers my whole life and, and, and I grew up in, in, well, near Santa Cruz. And it's like, Santa Cruz is the most localized beach mm-hmm. in the world. I remember first time I went there, I, I grew up in um, Saratoga, which is over the hill from Santa Cruz. Okay. So it's sort of like saying, like, it's the valley. It's the fucking valley. I it's grew up valley, in the valley. Yeah. And Santa Cruz is the yeah, beach. Yeah. So they were all pissed at exactly. you every time you tried to come over so and surf their way. Just like val- valleys go home, <laughs> fucking kook, all that shit as a kid, you know, but um but I mean, the waves are just different there. It's just like the li- the, the lip of the wave and, the, and it's so cold. I mean, you're in like hoods and everything and it's super, super sharky up there. It's like, I remember um, one of my good friends, Mark Oje, went uh, surfing the day after this guy got his arm ripped off by a great white shark. Oh. He was the first guy to surf. And he didn't even know we were such stoners. Like I smoked <laughs> so much weed in high school. My nickname was the walking bong hit. And we were all so, like, we were all so stoned. I didn't even know. I just like, we just went over there and he just paddled out and the new whole news team was there. What's it like to surf after the shark attack? It was crazy. You guys are like, wait, what happened? What shark attack? Yeah. We're like, what are you talking about? He actually got his picture put in the, um, put in the surfing museum for being the first surfer after it was a really big deal. The shark attack. Like apparently there was a random, 
army helicopter going over and saw all the blood in the water Whoa. and called 911 to rescue the guy that got bit, you know, but, um, do you man, know if that guy's okay? He's just, he's just, he, he survived. Yeah. Just wow, good. He's just like, what's up? <laughs> he's the true one armed man. <laughs> what up? Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just that guy now. And, um, <laughs> that's fucked up. That's I fu like that. It's <laughs> fu fucked up. That's not, yeah, it's not cool. Let's um, get something that's back to something that is cool. Maybe uh, you mentioned your kids. I, I, I'm just curious at that age, being 14 and 11, um, they're the ones that are in the now, right? Do you ever look to them for influence and say like, Hey, um, what's going on with these guys? Like someone, like there's a, you're, you got your uh, label. Have they yeah, brought you um, anybody or brought anyone to your attention that ended up on the label? Anything like that? My son likes SoundCloud rap. So he listens to NLE Choppa and it's just, he just, um, blue face and he makes me listen to it in the, in the car. And I just want to jump out of the window. I, I just, I just, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not, not in my soul. <laughs> it's not in my soul, man. And, and it's like, look, I mean, I'm a parent. I'm supposed to hate my kids' music, but goddamn, why can't it be something else, you know, besides, <laughs> I mean, it's like, whatever. There's just no melody at all. It's just like one beat, the whole song. And then they're just rapping about like, you know, well, just, everyone's already just, played the other 12 notes in every single possible way at this point. They, they, they figured that let's just op obsolete it all. <laughs> it's just distorted 808. Uh, one note, one note the whole time. And it's like, <laughs> I guess that may, maybe that shows my age that I'm not, but it's not like I, you know, I mean, I, I don't hate all modern music. I just, but you, I'll tell you what my son did though. We were, we were cruising through satellite radio yeah. Just looking for whatever. And we, we went through like, it's like Bruce Springsteen and Pearl Jam Radio and all this stuff. And then we got to the Grateful Dead station and I was like, oh, shit. And I like, turned the station real quick and my son heard me and he goes back to the Grateful Dead station and he clicked on like favorite. And then yeah. every time a Grateful Dead song would come up, he put thumbs up. So now when I go <laughs> in my car, every song that comes on is a fucking Grateful Dead or a fish or some like he jam got you band. fucking good, dude. <laughs> he is, that's the best prank he could have ever pulled on me, ever. <laughs> I think that's a solid one. I love that prank. Kudos to your son. What, what's his I know, name, by man. the way? Julian. Julian and Mila. Mila's my daughter. Mila. Julian and Mila. Kudos to you yeah, guys. Yeah, I, I have an older daughter as well that lives up in Santa Cruz where I oh. grew up. And uh, I had a kid when I was in high school, and, and we're really tight as well. She's 34, and she has three kids, so I'm a... I'm a grandpa wow. and uh, I've just got this life. I've got this life that it's just, it's, it's big enough for the world, man. It's like, I got a huge life. That's rad. That's a good thing to have, especially in times like this, man. This family becomes even more important. You know, it's, that's, that's great. True. Speaking of family, I, I, I heard a story that uh, your dad built the fuel that sent the men to the fucking moon. Like what was like, yeah, so yeah. A, Tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up with a dad that uh, is instrumental in that. So my dad got polio when he was 17. He was the last man to contract polio before the vaccine wow. um, in America. So he was like, he was bitter. I mean, I, I, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't <laughs> yeah, be you're the like, last one? Who wants to be the fucking the last one? Like the day later the vaccine comes, you're like, fuck. Oh, <laughs> uh, dude. It was, and so he had, um, so he didn't have any use of his left arm or his right leg. So he was in a brace 
And so when I turned, when I became a teenager, like, man, uh, I was such a derelict dude. I was such a fucking, I, because I, you know, I found punk rock and drinking right at the same time. And mm-hmm. so it's like, so my, my dad, you know, when he, he was in the hospital for three years, uh, like recovering from, um, the polio virus. And he just basically made a decision to use his head. So he went to all this school. He went, he got a PhD, um, and he became a nuclear physicist, right? So the smartest man I've ever met, my dad. Yeah. And he had all, all these expectations for me. And then I came out and I'm just like ADD. I hate school. And I'm just like a, a full on rebel. I love punk rock. And my dad, he just didn't know what to do with me, man. And he, um, I mean, he, he, he would only let us listen to musicals. I heard I about growing this. Up, like, yeah, it was only Oklahoma, Sound of Music, The Music Man. So how did you find definitely... your first, what, what was your first punk rock record and how did you find it then? Well, that, I mean, for sure, the musical stuff is why I became an alcoholic, for sure. You know, it's <laughs> like, I was like struggling with that shit. But um, a friend, this, this, one of my best friends, this guy, Chris Caton, moved from Lake Tahoe and he was in a punk band called Urban Assault. And so he used to tour manage Social Distortion. So he knew all the social D guys. And so when they would come through town, they would rehearse in my garage. I met all those dudes when I was like 14 and all that sh- stuff like just shaped. So it was the first record was Nevermind the Bollocks, of course, mm. you know, Sex Pistols, which is like your, your kind of gateway drug. Yeah. You know, and then, and then from that, it was The Clash's first album. And then it was Mommy's Little Monster, which was like the Southern California punk rock, which changed everything. Um, but yeah, my, uh, but yeah, my, my dad really wanted me to be an engineer like him, you know, who built this, the fuel to put the rocket on the moon. And, uh, and here we are talking about punk rock, you know, 12 <laughs> years after he's dead, you know, it's like, who would have thought, I mean, who would have thought my dad, you know, in the end, he, you know, he did the best he could, but he used to just, he, he'd walk really slow because he had a brace on his leg. So he'd limp. And I just remember, man, I was fuck i'm gonna pay for this i know it i used to just sit right in front of him and be like fuck you dad and he couldn't get me he uh-huh. would just be like he would just, it, it was fucking so terrible i was such a terrible kid man uh-huh. and uh i remember one day um, easy right now with julian he's just pulling pranks well, on it <laughs> i i know i know but uh, you know knock on wood my my kids don't live up to my mistakes um you know and, and and in the end like before he passed i mean we we mended our ways and we 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 became good but i mean he really um really hated punk rock i mean he hated it wow. which look i mean i never if if my kids want to listen to music in my car i'm never negative i'm always like let's go whatever you want to hear i get one song they get one song i get one song i mean that's, that's like the rule we have in in the car and and i i don't they know that i'm suffering but i still listen to it anyway when my dad threw all my albums away he's like this is this is not allowed they were really my parents were really religious they were super catholic so they I just feel like that would probably like, have an ad, have the adverse effect as a parent now that i look at it you know you learn from other parents too right but like it just seems like anytime you try and stifle somebody in general it's going to have that adverse effect right like that probably Dude, only about, made you wanted to go and listen to it more, you know? I think about it all the time. I think, you know, how much 
did my dad's adversity to my music drive me to want to do it more and want to make a career out of it? You know, how much did his negativity influence my drive? And then I wonder, you know, with all like, you know, like all of us living in Southern California with all the competition and everyone like, like, you know, best song wins and all this, you know, there's like 10 songwriters on every session and you're trying to like have your voice be heard. Like how much anxiety that I have because of that drive and how much, how different my life would be if I had a parent that was really supportive of me pursuing music. And I wonder, I wonder if I would have been as successful if my parents would have been super supportive. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't really change those things and probably not. I mean, the, those things kind of, I'm a big believer in things kind of have to evolve in the, in the perfect way for us to be in this dimension and make it, make it all work, right? And that's what brought us here. Um, but you, you mentioned that drive, and I got to ask the question, are you going to follow in Fat Mike and Green Days? You, you mentioned the, the musicals that you grew up on. Are you going to do a, a Goldfinger musical? Are you going to follow in those footsteps? God, Fat Mike's one is so funny. Um, I've only <laughs> seen footage of it, but it's so funny, man. Um, you know, I've written, I have written a musical because I, I, I as sort of a tribute to my father, um, I, I, I put together this idea. It's called Castle Hill, and we're going to see. I mean, I, I'm, it's like I, I can only do so much. I'm only one man. They say you could do one thing great and two things good and three <laughs> things not so much. So, you know, I, I think what I, I think I can write a pretty darn good hook and I can produce a record pretty good. And then everything else, like if it starts to happen and, and move in that direction, like I'm, I'm totally going to yeah. go all the way, but I've, I've written nine songs. I've got like an arc of the story. It's basically me in 1983. It's like, you know, kind of discovering punk rock and kind of how it changed my life. And, and we'll see, you know, um, but I got a really, I got a quick story. I just wanted to share yeah, real yeah, quick go ahead, man. before I forget. For. Um, um, so my son, when he was nine months old, they thought he had kidney cancer and oh, wow. we had to move into the UCLA cancer ward and they took out his kidney and they were wrong. It was this multilascular cystic nephroma is what it's called. Like the cyst that was growing on his kidney. And um, because of it, he was in, you know, he was in the hospital for so long that he's had these like learning delays. So he's been in a learning difference ki- uh, school and all this stuff. And, and, you know, I've just been like, what, what does the future look like for my son? And I, you know, like it's a parent, we always worry about, of course, you know, of course we worry about our kids, just like my parents worried about me. And, uh, and so as a tribute to my father, every year we go to the sound of music, they play it at the Hollywood bowl and it's sold out every year. They play the movie. Oh, wow. People dress up like the characters. They have really? a costume I, contest. How have I not heard about this? This is cool. It's so ra- It's so fun and it's so rad. And so we go every year. And my son last year, he wanted to dress up as one of the characters. So he said, he said, let me, um, I want to dress up like a female deer, right? Like the yeah. song. And so we got him like a, a, like a deer onesie outfit. And I just put my, um, I just put a, a, like I took a bra from my wife's closet. I put a bra on him, you know? So he was a female deer and he looked... <laughs> I, you know, he's 13 at the time. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. He looks so great. And we get there, we get in the costume contest. We're last people in line. And he gets on stage and and the, the woman, the MC, it's like 14,000 people sold out Hollywood Bowl. It's just, just him on stage. And I'm sitting there like looking at him, filming him. And he's like, she's like, what's your name? It's Julian. I'm 13. You know, what are you? I'm, I'm a female deer. And then she goes, that's a lovely brassiere. Whose is it? And he looks right at me. He goes, it's my dad's. You know, like, right at me. <laughs> 
<laughs> not his mom's. It's definitely his dad's. It's John Feldman's right. right over there. Yeah. I got so red, and they put the cameras on me, so I'm on the jumbotron with like filming him. It was Dude, like that's and he won. He fucking won the contest. It was like, and it, and it's just like you never know how. Like you're talking about full circle, right? It's like Dude. my dad musicals, and then I had this experience with my son that I would have never never had if it yeah. wasn't for my my dad you know yeah and that's funny that I, I would like to see you like bright face because i mean you've you've done you've been in front of thousands of people over all the years with goldfinger and you, i mean i think i read somewhere that you were you, you like had the guinness book of touring like guinness book of world record for amount of shows played in a year was it like three yeah we played we played uh 385 shows in 1996 Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, it was like when here in your bedroom was like there, like K rock was playing it 42 times a week. It was just like this. I mean, I was selling shoes and then it was like K rock played my song. Dude, like 10 I was going to ask about day. that. You, were you a big Al Bundy fan then? I mean, you gotta, <laughs> <laughs> no one, no what one. Kind of store, what kind of store, what kind of shoe store was it? Was it a, like a, uh, like a locker, uh, a foot locker, or was it more like a high end business shoe? What kind of shoes were you selling? Uh, it was called Nana. It was like a punk rock shoe store on the promenade in Santa Monica. But it's funny. I used to, whenever people would say, well, what do you, you know, I, when I moved to LA, I mean, I moved to LA in 1988. Okay. So I was still a kid. I was still 18, you know, but I, I, people were like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm in a band. They're like, what do you really do? I'm like, well, I sell, sh I'm Al Bundy. I used to make that joke. I'm Al Bundy. And it's like, <laughs> people, it was funny in the eighties, but now it's like, who the fuck is Al Bundy? Um, yeah. But it was like, He's it the was guy like on Modern Family now. He's the guy on Modern Family now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's funny. Goldfinger's old tour manager is married to Sofia Vergara from that show. So it's really come full circle. Wow. Al Bundy. The Al Bundy guy. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, but it was like we sold like Doc Martens and Creepers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I just remember... Um, you, you, you already mentioned it in, in, in my bedroom. Um, this is huge here. I mean, in Southern California, I don't know. How, I mean, if you look at your discography, it's massive, right? You've got, you've got I think it was 34 million sales. That's uh, something, if you added up everything that you've been involved in, that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, congratulations on that. That's fucking huge. Um, but Thanks, let's get, man. Let's get back to Goldfinger, because that's like, I was in 96, I was probably 12 years old. It was very influential for me, you know, listening to Goldfinger and being here in Huntington Beach. It was played constantly on, uh, I think it was, it was K-Rock and then there was the, the, the sister, not the sister, but the competitor that was also playing alternative as they call it. And uh, there was, and then the super, Superman was on, was getting played quite a bit too. Um, you guys were kind of, on the forefront of like that ska scene that was happening, you know? And, um, and then it kind of, it kind of started to bring in these swing bands. Like all of a sudden you had like Cherry Pop and Daddies and Big Boo, 
that voodoo daddy and all this stuff. Did were you aware of that as it was happening? Were you kind of like, oh, Scott's kind of paving the way for Swing to make a little bit of a comeback here? That's kind of weird, right? Well, I mean, this whole this whole thing is all all interconnected. I mean, so my my first band when I moved to LA was called the Electric Love Hogs. Nice, best band in ever. <laughs> yeah, and- dude. This this band's a rock and Electric Love Hogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we were like somewhere between like Judas Priest and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We were like, we had guitar solos and uh, a slapping bass player. You know, we were kind of, we, our first tour was opening for infectious groups, but we did really well in LA. And so like all these bands would open for us on their first, like their first kind of uh, LA shows. Like we had, we, we took Mother Love Bone, we took them, um, which, you know, turned into Pearl Jam later on. Uh, wow. We had, Tool opened their first show for us. Rage Against the Machine, we took them on their first tour. Corn, we took them on their first tour. So it's yeah. like all these bands, I'd known all these bands. And so when that band broke up and I had to go back to retail, like I knew that I knew that I wanted to do something more than just be like the singer of a band. And and so I remember when I saw the Skeletones at the barn in Riverside, they had this band Real Big Fish open for them. And I was friends with the Skeletones. They played all the um, keyboards on the Goldfinger's first record. Uh, and I saw a Real Big Fish and they played Sellout, which was like their, it be, ended up becoming fucking, their big yeah, hit. the biggest. And yeah. I, I heard that song and I'm like, this song's a fucking hit. So I, I, I actually signed Real Big Fish and then Real Big Fish discovered the Cherry Pop and Daddies. And so both those bands were on my label at the time, Mojo. It's not my label, but they were the label that Goldfinger was on. So we had all this like, ska punk so you were kind of that whole thing yeah so you but not to backtrack too much though but so you were um you were already kind of a and ring for mojo at the time like were you were you were you getting paid that way or were you just like hey let's bring everybody over here and you know like like any great like you know just super positive like energetic kid i'm just like let's make a party and the, the guy that owned the label just did not, he did not treat me well. I mean, and so like, like, I guess the conversation with my father, who was a great, he was a great man, but there was a lot of butting heads growing up. Like Jay Rifkin, without his taking a chance on me, I mean, who knows what happened in my life? He signed me to a record deal. He took me out of selling shoes and I'm incredibly grateful for that. But what I, in turn, gave to him which he sold his company to universal records for millions of dollars oh, because yeah. of us and real big fish and and i asked i just said um here's what i asked at the time i was 27 i said hey jay do you think because i found real big fish we could maybe you could take me out for a dinner just take me out for dinner and he said nope i'm not going to do that not even that was that. The kind of that was the kind of man that he was and wow. it's like be, and i'd take you out for dinner just for being on my show i mean shit <laughs> just but the truth is that because of that experience i never want to be that guy mm. to anyone i never want to be that guy and it's like i mean my my, my coffee machine is right here i see and that. it's like i will i just i'm i'm the coffee maker at the house so i don't have someone else do it for me i'm like like whatever i can do to make it like feel like we're all 
Like we're all in this together. If you win, I win. So let's make the best music we can make. And that's my opinion, you know? And it's like, if someone brought me a band that like help, I mean, let's like, I'll, you're my A&R guy. I'm hiring you, you know, that's the way I want it to be. Do you think that that, uh, you already said that that kind of has shaped how you approach everything from that point on. Um, what made you go and become a legit A&R over at Warner? Was that the first, first time you became, uh, you know, called an A&R agent or was there another label before that? I think um, in the end, like the intent that I had with Real Big Fish was like, how can I help this band be heard by people? Because I just loved them. Mm -hmm. I love this. I love the people. I love the music. I love their songs. Like, I just wanted to help them. And I think that that was my overall vibe in the beginning when I discovered Show Off and Messed. Those were the first two, like, they're kind of pop punk bands. And um, so yeah. I got my first deal at, at Warner Brothers Records through John Reese. I don't know if you know John, but I know John um, very well. Yeah. Yeah. So John Reese was my manager at the time. And he basically introduced me to Guy Osiri, who was the first guy to ever take a chance on me as an A&R guy. Like he's like, you know, he saw the potential in me because I was touring, you know, 385 shows a year. Yeah. And I was out there like having all these young bands open for me. And I, it was like a, a, you know, breeding ground for, t for young talent. And, um, he saw that in me and took a chance and eventually he signed story of the year, which, you know, gave, gave me my first kind of platinum album for a record that I worked on. Uh, and guy, guy was always so, such a stand-up dude, Guy Osiri. And same with John Reese. He just, I mean, without John, I don't know if we'd be talking right now. That guy really has helped me so much. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah, John, John's actually very, very close to us. We've done a lot of tours. He's put up a lot of festivals. That we, and through business, we became really close. And actually, one of our very good friends in childhood, um, he kind of took and, and mentored. And now he's managing the used and Atreyu and stuff. So, I mean, there's... It's all part of this whole family, right? That, that, that brings me to another question, though. Like, you guys did warp tours. We did warp tours. Did we ever do one together? I don't remember us actually being on the same warp tour. No, we never did. Wow. How did that happen? Damn it. <laughs> we did, we did 96, 97. You probably weren't, you weren't a band then. No, no. Band formed in 99, did uh, first warp tour in 2002, I want to say. Yeah, we did 2001, and then I think we did 2008, and then we did last year 2000. We did just the just those shows. So we did four, and we just didn't do it. Yeah, no, I mean bummer. it's it's crazy. It's a bummer that we weren't on the same one together. I mean, have, you you have I mean, everyone talks about those experiences of Warped Tour. Without Warped Tour, we don't have a platform for events to really take off. I mean, that's really you, you mentioned in the live thing, Craig, Craig Aronson. That's where him and Andy Oliphant discovered Avenged Sevenfold. So it's just like, it's really sad that Warp Tour isn't around anymore. You know what I mean? Like there, there's not that platform for these young bands. Um, I'm sure they're going to figure it out and there's going to be new platforms. But for me, I love the Warp Tour days, that camaraderie. I mean, the, the barbecue hangs afterward every time. Like everyone's just in the same shit together. Like what are some of your favorite uh, Warp Tour memories? Um... I was, I mean, the first, I, I went to the first Warp Tour in 96 when I was, uh, or 95, when I just put Goldfinger together in 94. So we we were banned for maybe six months. And I remember, 
I was friends with the sound guy because the sound guy, Greg, um, what's his name? Anyway, Greg was running the board and he let me sit on the um, sit up where they were doing sound so I could see the whole pit. I could see the whole thing. And it was like, no doubt, sublime, um, no effects, bad religion. And it was like all of my favorite bands ever in one place. And I remember I got in the pit for no effects and it was just so it was so, so great just being being a kid and being like a fan and then the first year that we played main stage, you know, um, I just remember thinking, dude, this is like, it was like a dream. One year I'm there as a fan. And then the next year I'm there as like a, a yeah. whatever. I mean, you're in the in pit, a band. you go from the pit to the main stage and then to the stage. you're hanging out with your favorite guys backstage as everyone's, as, as I said before, everyone after the shows or even in between, cause you know, shows are going on all throughout the day. You're running into everybody and catering and hanging out by the buses or vans, depending on uh, what stage you're on. And, you know, it's, it's it, that camaraderie. I mean, what was, is that where you met a lot of uh, your contemporary friends now, would you say? Or um, had you known a lot of these legendary punk bands, like you mentioned with Bad Religion, No Effects, and um, did you know them before I mean, your we, World Tour days? That, Bad Religion took us on tour and, um, you know, I remember Greg Graffin wanted wanted to produce our second album, and I was like, because when I was selling shoes, like we had like a CD um, changer that you could put eight CDs in it, and would just go from one CD to the next, and I would fill it up with all, all, all Bad Religion. I'd maybe throw a Pennywise in there, but it was like it would just people that were working in the store wouldn't be able to tell because Bad yeah. Religion from one CD to the next, because the records all sound so. It's like you know when you hear a Bad Religion record how it sounds. It yeah, sounds so great. And I was such a fan of the band. And so I was like, when Greg wanted to produce our record, I was like, um, I was I was so honored. I'm like, how the fuck did this happen? You know, and just hanging out with those guys. I just actually saw Jay Bentley last month, just right down the street here in Calabasas. Um, I just love those guys. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like because I've grown up with all of these people, uh, that we're, we, are, we are friends. And Warp Tour was definitely a part of all of it. Kevin Lyman has connected me with so many people. I remember when I saw The Used um, right after I finished that first album, Play Warp Tour, Burt climbed to the top of the truss and dove off it. I don't know if you saw that. I've, of course, yeah. We actually, uh, my first memories of Warp Tour is 2003 and we, we were on with them. We were on the Maurice stage. They were on the main stage. They would occasionally play Maurice. We'd occasionally play Maine. But like we were, we were getting along, and and I would, I was a huge fan of Bert, specifically also the used, of course, because of those crazy acts. He was getting up on the trust, he was jumping into the crowd. Everyone was loving. It. I mean, they had this huge buzz. Their self-titled record was was on Warner, um, which we had just signed to, so we knew each other too through that. Um, it was it was this crazy time. I'm glad that you mentioned that though, because one of the things I wanted to ask about is your energy on stage when you're when you're playing with Goldfinger. You're one of the most energetic people I've seen, and then you end up with working with Store of the Year and use, as you just say, with Bert. I mean, Store of the Year, when I saw them on Warped Tour, the fucking bass player was doing a backflip off of his cab or some shit like that. Like, like, do you feel honored that, I, I got to imagine you've had to have inspired these kids uh, in some way for, for those kind of acts? I mean, it's also pushing me too, as the, as the kind of like older, like brother figure or whatever, uncle. I don't know what the fuck I am, um, but it's like <laughs> uncle, as, Feldy. As, uncle Feldy. That's uncle Feldy. Uncle Feldy. Yeah, like <laughs> as that as that dude. Um, like they would like when store of the year opened for Goldfinger. I'm like, holy shit! 
we need to, we need to step it up because they're like doing these circle kicks, like these karate moves and like flip, flipping off the drum set. And it's just like, I don't even oh, know how shit, they were man. still able to play. Honestly, like, they're throwing everything. You're like, how are you still playing? Like your instruments over here, but I, I can know. still hear the music. <laughs> and they're ripping musicians too. All those dudes were really, really talented except for one. And um, which one was that? <laughs> <laughs> except for one. Okay, we'll leave you know it at who, except for one. You guys got to guess. You know who? You know who you are. The one dude that just. <laughs> The one dude that just every time in the studio, he'd just be like, nope, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. That's a, that's a great person to, to work with. How do you approach don't producing listen. too? Let's get into that real quick. How do you approach producing? I've, um, we've done a, some self-producing in, in Avenged, and, but, and we've also worked with a couple of different producers. Um, what's your process? Do you approach each and every, I mean, it sounds cliche, but I got to imagine you approach everybody differently and uniquely to what they're uh, trying to accomplish, uh, right? Absolutely, man. I mean, every artist is different. Every, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, like with Ian, we're talking to Ian from Arrested Youth earlier, and it's just like he, he's, got, he's got a very specific kind of energy. The guy's really clean. Like, he, like he's not smoking weed before the session. He doesn't have his glass of red wine while we're making the record. He's just very clean and so we you know we try and work out like we usually work out beforehand and then we do like a meditation and then we go wow you know then we go hard like i'm writing these songs for a little pump right now which or with you know kind of he's rapping on these and it's a little it's a little different you know the vibe <laughs> the vibes are different you know i just did these sessions with rico nasty who's incredible she's just this incredible talent and um and she likes to smoke weed and it's like you know but it's just it's a different every artist is different and i just i I'll mo most of the time i'm working with kind of younger artists that are either just starting out or they're making their second or third record mm -hmm. and so i really feel like part of my job is mentoring and helping with song structure helping with arrangements i'm sort of you know if they don't want me to write on the record i'm sort of saying well i think you can beat this post chorus or i think the riff can be you know, catchier or simplified or busier, depending on where we're at. Like I'm, I, I, I feel like you're really just kind of ebbing and flowing off of what the artist is giving you. Right. I mean, that's You kind of just have to roll with the punches and, and, and take it in and then kind of guide it. Right. Is that, is that yeah, a fair but way me, to say it? me producing, me producing the used first album, my whole, everything was very different than me producing Blink's last two records, you know, they're very, it's a very different mindset because yeah, I can imagine, you know, I'm, I mean, who do you, but a lot who, who have you butted heads the, that you're still friends with, but you're in the studio They're Like, who do you butt heads with the most uh, out of any of your artists? Like what, what's one that stands out to you where you're like, you guys just butt heads, but somehow put it together. Cause I know that I know for me in our band, there's always, you have those days, right, where the producer is trying to get something out of you and you're just like, fuck you, man. I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, I don't I don't I've been lucky that I haven't worked with any total. I mean, that's not that is not true. <laughs> I was going to say something that was not true. OK, well, I have worked. I have worked with some challenging artists now okay. that I think back, you know, now that I think back. But, um, you know, mo most artists that come to me know that I'm very hands-on that I'm 
you know, that I'm a musician, I'm a songwriter, I'm in a band. And so I have the experience. Like I know, I know that I got a foot fungus from Peabody's in Cleveland, you know? So I'm like, I can tell my, I can tell. It's like you've been, you played the shows. Okay. <laughs> I had to I think played. about that for a second. Why you, why you just told me that story. Okay. I get it now. So I can talk to a young band. I can yeah. tell them, make sure you don't take a shower at Peabody's in Cleveland because yeah. you'll get fucking you're gonna get the fucking fungus. Fungus. you're gonna get the green fungus. yeah yeah so I've got this experience that I think bands a lot of time will listen to me maybe more than just a dude that's like whatever a guy that's never that's not a musician or just a guy that's never been in a band you know I think yeah. that I get that people respect my history maybe or maybe I've just been been lucky but there have been individuals that uh um just drugs drugs are the are, are, are like that when they're doing the heavy, factor of like what what's 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 fucking yeah when the they're process. doing heavy drugs it's just i'm sober so I, i'm i'm just a different mindset i'm i'm on like my my ninth espresso right now i don't know if by you the way tell, i see that I, you have i didn't notice that till just now on your on your espresso you have one of those reheating cups i do yeah 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 my daughter got this for me for christmas that's fucking it's brilliant a, it's the Ember. It's like the Larry David special. It is. It is. <laughs> oh, dude, I love Kirby Enthusiasm. You got to be a fan, right? Oh, dude, he's the best, man. He it's is so the fucking, fucking best. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I, 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 so I'll just share the worst experience I've ever had. Um, I signed, I put together this emo super group, um, you know, probably 10 years ago. And okay. I got them, I got them signed to Warner Brothers. Uh, I got the best, the best manager, like, I mean, top three in the planet to manage the band. And one of my who, who favorite, is that? who is, who, who is that in your, Jonathan in Daniel, he, okay. he runs crush crush management. So he does fallout boy and panic, the disco and Sia green day, okay. um, Weezer, a I bunch mean, of bands just, no one's heard of. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's a fucking legend right. and he's just a really good dude. And, and he loves the replacements. Replacements are my favorite. And, um, he's just a really good man. And I got him to manage the band and we just had everything in our pocket, man. And, and the singer went and slept with the head of the record label's wife at their house, at their fucking house. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, she had the affair. He had the affair. It was just like, it just ruined God. I, I, and I felt like I what was this band. Can you, can you tell me what this band was? Um, well then it would, I don't want to, I don't want to implicate anybody. Okay. I don't want to No, but it was just like, um, it was just horrible. It was horrible for the, the band. They got dropped. All, uh, did you had you guys already had you guys already written and recorded music at that point? We made the we had made the record. We had this amazing album, and it was like this and kid was just like a total knucklehead. I mean, I don't know how you do. I mean, like I'm, I don't know. I'm just. I I, I guess I think that everyone has a certain way of thinking, but that's so naive of me. I mean, it's like to think that I would. I mean, I would never. I just. I'm a loyal. I've never. Cheated on my wife. I love. I love being a husband, but not everyone has married. You know. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't put myself in those shoes. You know, it's it's hard. It's somebody else's thought process, and sometimes it's hard to understand those. I guess you know. Um, but I digress. 
Let's talk a little bit about the used. Are you still there? Did you freeze? I think you froze. Oh, there you are. Okay, cool. I just uh, had Jeffa on the show um, last week, and the new record, Heart Heartwork, dude. This thing is fucking awesome. He was telling me, "Thank that, you, dude. That's a, It's some of the best used." I told him, "I'm like, this is some of the best stuff I've heard from you guys in years. Like, this is this is really good shit." Um, what was it like for you on that process? I mean. The the Jeff Jeff's point of view will come out uh, before yours. So now that now that, now, that, now it's up to you. How how did you feel on your end when you were uh, putting this record together? Well, I mean, look, I, we we have I'm the user, my family, and we've got this history that just goes back. I mean, yeah, Jeff said uh, it was. I asked him how it was like going back and working with you again after you know it's up and down. Sometimes you, you guys are working together, sometimes you're not. He's like, you know. It was like an old family member that you hadn't seen in a while, but it was just like right back to, to normal. Is that how you felt? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting because the old, like Brandon, their drummer, their old drummer, and Quinn, their old guitar player, they, they used to drive to L.A. from Salt Lake City to sit outside of the Mojo Records office to try and meet me because they knew I'd signed Mest. And so they uh-huh. were like they were the ones that sort of started the whole process. And then when I first met their singer, Bert, um, I, I was in, we played a show in Salt Lake city. They brought him to the show and he just had this little demo cassette of, um, of their first, like, uh, I think it was maybe memories in a box full of sharp objects mm-hmm. and just came on and he was l- wasted and he comes <laughs> on our bus and throws the cassette, the cassette on the bus. And my tour manager, he was so little, my tour manager just picked him up and just threw him out of the bus. <laughs> and and that was my first like like intro to Bert. It was like, oh, who's this wasted I think that's kid? I think that was everybody's first intro to Bert. If you had known before he got sober, that was that was kind of the time. And it's a good thing that he's that's sober right. now. It's a good he's one of the people that definitely yeah. needed to be sober. But and I I love Bert so much. He's a very good friend of mine. I so. know, I know. Thank God. And thank God for his kids. And he's all he's all jacked, all bodybuilder now. He's like super I don't know if yeah. you've seen him lately, but he's ripped. Um, but, but anyway, so I've got all this, this long standing, you know, history with the band and, um, you know, from the beginning, like I was, I was, I felt like I was part of the, everything, like the, the development yeah. of the sound and the whole thing. And so, you know, them making a record last record with Ross Robinson, you know, part of me, like, dude, I, I mean, I love heavy music and I love that first corn record. I love that first Slipknot record, man. Yeah. It is like, I mean, top five best metal records of all time. I wow. think. Yeah, that's great. That, that first Slipknot record. So, so this part of me, that's like, I want, of course, I want every artist I work with to have the experience that they, that they want, that they want to have. And if they want to work with other people, of course. And then there's the other, the other part of me that's like, they're mine. I want, I want to be, I want to yeah. make every record with them. <laughs> and, you know, and so when they came back, it was like, you know, um, it was like returning home. It was yeah. like being back with my family. And how did you see the I growth think, being away from them for a minute? How did you see their growth without you around? Like, uh, for me, I've been a huge Jeff fan for since I first met them on, on Warped Tour. He's, he's a, phenomenal bass player he downplays it a little bit but when you hear him get on the bass and the way he, he gets the right tone out his note selection and his chops and he's self-taught and all these kind of things and 
I, I saw his progression over the time. And on this new record, I, I told him too, I was like, dude, you're killing it on this new record. What, like, where did all this, all this come from, you know? Yeah, I don't know if you heard Lighthouse or Clean Cut, but he's just like slapping the bass. Like, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, he didn't I, tell. I no Sean, their manager, sent me uh, the stuff before, but he didn't include all the featured stuff that came out when the record actually came out. So I had to go back and listen to it after I talked to Jeff. And yeah, he's like, he was talking about how he's playing flat wounds and slapping flat wounds. I'm like, what? You're slapping flat wounds? That's fucking rad. <laughs> it's got a it's got a very distinct sound. It's like I heard it there. They actually just added it to K Rock. So awesome. fuck yeah, Congrats it's pretty on crazy. The, the um the it's a Mark Hoppus feature on that one and it's mm -hmm. cool. I heard it on Alt Nation yesterday too. I'm like, it's it's always great when you hear your music on the radio. I don't know about you, but oh, I've dude. never get never like get we told. just talked about with Ian. I was that that was a legit story with Stryker um playing us for the first time. I was in the car with our late drummer Jimmy. And I believe I was in the car with somebody and we were driving. I was literally going to the bank to like pull out some cash or some shit like that. And I was listening to K-Rock and I heard Stryker say something and then play Backcountry. I was like, what the fuck? I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> dude, pumped, he's the dude. best, man. He, um, there's this, uh, this little girl that went viral. She has this song, I Wonder What's Inside My Butthole. I don't know if you heard this little, <laughs> like... She's just I have like, not, but I don't know how I haven't. That's amazing. <laughs> she's this little girl that just is like kind of rap talking. She's probably like four years old, five. And and Stryker called me. He's like, dude, you have to do a cover of this song and we'll play it on the radio tomorrow. Oh. So two nights ago, I did this reggae version of I Wonder What's Inside My Butthole or Your Butthole. I wonder what's inside your butthole. Uh, and, uh, and Does I it really matter reggae. whose butthole it is? <laughs> It's all shit, either, right? <laughs> either way, it's poop. Yeah, no matter how you break it down, that's what it is. But it's funny because the song goes, um, is there, you know, is there an alien? Is there an astronaut? Like, you know, she's like really asking these questions. Like, what's inside your butthole? And uh, so I that's made the song. It's so funny and adorable it on, at the same yeah, time. He, and he fucking played it on K-Rock yesterday, my version. It was just like. Of all the stuff that I work on, yeah, that's like my. Hopefully, th maybe that'll be what you're known for. Like, like for like all, all the other accolades are just thrown out the door. <laughs> the reggae version of what's in somebody's butt. <laughs> Speaking like, of your uh, accolades, though, you you uh, finally got on the Grammy list with uh, Blink One Eight Two. Was that like two years ago or something? Like two albums ago? Correct me. What was California, what was the Grammy yeah, experience was... like for you? Because I've heard mixed things. We haven't. I haven't gone myself. Um, we've only been nominated. We haven't won in anything. And when we were nominated, I think now it's been, you know, the metal or hard rock or rock, whatever, always gets pushed to the side. And it's like in the convention center and then main Grammys happens in Staples Center. <laughs> so how was, how was your experience? What was, what was that like for you? I mean, it was probably similar to yours. I mean, I, 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 I bought a tux from Paul Smith. I'm like, this is, this is worth this was worth every penny buying that tux and it's like I went there and I, I just saw all my friends you know I saw Butch Walker I saw Fallout Boy I saw the guys in Corn and it was like you know all of us I think it's a very similar feeling of like I don't know if they kn knew who they're inviting when when we're all here together <laughs> but like there's a sense of like have we really made it to the Grammys but, but in the end I mean that's how I felt I guess I can't speak for them I felt like holy shit and I was just so 
excited, man. I was just like running around. Stryker actually interviewed me at the Grammys. Like he was there and um, that was really cool. And I, you know, that would have been different if we, if we would have won for California, but I, I, I loved it. I thought it was just an amazing right. event. And I just felt like the excitement there is like electric, you know? Yeah, no, that's, 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 yeah. Like I said, we didn't actually go, so I didn't have that experience. We just were nominated and for some, I don't, I don't even remember what it was to be honest, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, I wanted to talk about real quick, a little bit more about Big Noise. You got a lot of great acts over there. Actually, one I didn't realize was Foxy Shazam. And not, not a lot of people know about them, but like for, uh, I heard that record probably, fuck man, probably seven years ago now. Um, it was, uh, it was really kind of funky, groovy, like what, did you sign that band or like, how did that, what, what how did that happen with you and, and Foxy Shazam? Well, look, I. I never, you know, I'm, I guess like anybody that, that gets to do what you love for a living, like you get to play music for a living, like how, like, I don't ever, I don't want anyone to ever take it away from me. And there's that fear of like, I don't, I don't want to lose what, this little thing that I have, which is like this amazing gift of making music for a living. So I, I, you know, there's always that fear of like saying, well, I've done this, all this stuff, but I don't want to, I don't want to be arrogant. And then there's the other side of me that's like, fuck, yeah, I've done it. Yeah. I did it. All you motherfuckers that said it would never happen. <laughs> you're fucking wrong. You know what I mean? So yeah. Foxy Shazam was one of those bands that like do the best, like, like story of the year, I guess with their Cirque du Soleil kind of metalcore show. Like, um, you know, Foxy Shazam had this like circus thing that Eric would just eat a bunch of cigarettes and just, I mean, yeah, light just, lit there's cigarettes. A of, there's a lot of silly stuff going on there. <laughs> Crazy. Like, crazy show and he's an incredible singer i mean he's got this like really somewhere between like brendan yuri and freddie mercury he's just got this voice that's incredible yeah. and i'm like i knew i knew i had to sign him i knew i had to produce the record and it's like he allowed me to kind of collaborate and co-write a couple songs on that first record which i felt honored to do but they're one of those bands that i knew from what the album they made on their own versus the album, the self-titled album that I made with them, I knew if they were going to go make another record, it yeah. was, it was, it was going to be over for them based on kind of where they were at as songwriters. I knew that if I, if I could have done another record or another two records, they, they would have learned enough, hopefully from my, my experience yeah. just as a musician and as a writer that they could have then gone off and done their own thing, but they did it. And it's just like, I watched the band, like they had everything, everything in their corner. They had Tom Wally. I mean, oh, everything. Tom Wally, yeah. So that actually is a perfect segue for me because we did, I do want to talk to you about, about uh, our mutual friend and Craig Aronson. You mentioned another one in Tom Wally. So a little backstory from my side of it. Um, Andy Oliphant, who I'm sure you know as well, was A&R over at Warner in 2003 when we signed with them, um, was out on a warp tour. I believe it was, might have been a Chicago one. Uh, don't hold me to it. Um, Andy saw us first, brought in Craig, and then, I mean, this all happened in the same summer, like that same month and a half to two months of, of doing warp tour. Then I remember meeting Tom Wally for the first time in a you know, in a trailer and we had our first meeting there. Um, what are some of it? And obviously, uh, for those who don't know, Craig Aronson, who's our A&R agent, he helped discover the used among a lot of other things, uh, had a tumor and passed away a few years ago. Um, 
So I just want to share or ask you to share what are, one of your uh, fond memories of Greg. You know, it's funny now that I think about Craig of all the people in my life, him and I butted heads more than anybody <sighs> I've ever met. And in the best, in the best of ways, like I would, I would do a mix of a song and he would just say, you know what? The bridge is too long or you, you don't have the chorus right. Or I don't feel it. He had a lot I of opinions. This, he had a lot of opinions. He man. had so many opinions. And I remember one day, Oh, dude, fuck. I wonder, I wonder if he kept the message. I left a message on his cell phone. I was like, you fucking think you're in the fucking band. How the fuck? Like, I, I just like, you know, I left one, yeah. of, one of those messages. I was so, it was like the eighth. It was like an like, Alec Baldwin um, message that, that he would, <laughs> which yeah. he would take back. And it was like, and he called me back an hour later. He goes, he goes, John, are you okay, buddy? I remember he was like very calm about mm. the whole thing. I was, I was, because you know, you get when you're making an album, you, you you're in. I mean, you're in deep, and it's like I, and you're spending 18 hours with the same guys every day, and then this guy from the outside comes in with some outside opinion, and you're like, what the fuck? Sometimes, but every time, every time that he knew we had something, I remember I played him. Um, uh, all that I got off the second album. Mm -hmm. He came in the studio. Um, it was buried myself alive on the first record. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously that that one was awesome. That song. He was sitting in my car. I had like a three series BMW, which has really good sound system. Mm -hmm. And I sat. I was sitting in the car, and he just started crying, like crying, like like yeah, you know what I mean. When man. when 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 we nailed it, like we nailed it together, him and I. When we got it right, we got it right. You know, and then the in-between stuff would just be in, 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 in the end, it didn't matter. You know, all that mattered was the music. And sometimes he would be right. And sometimes I would be right. In the end, the artists always, you know, got their way, you know, because yeah. that's the way it should be. But um, he would always fight for his. I remember go, going to visit him at Warner Brothers and he'd just be sitting outside Tom Wally's office. Now, you know, Tom mentored me probably more than anybody else in the world and such a good uh, dude such a good dude such a good dude you know tom um tom knew that tupac shakur had a had a connecting flight out of burbank he went to the burbank airport and waited for that flight signed him to a record deal at the airport that's the legend that that yeah. guy is i mean he that guy got that it story. done yeah he just like and he signed i mean he ran warner brothers at, in, in my opinion like the peak of the Warner Brothers I mean, legacy. I, when we were on, I mean, we were having a good time when, I mean, when he was running it, you know, it, it was, we had a great team. I mean, uh, at the time, I mean, we're back on Warner again now. Um, and that's exciting for us. So we're, we're excited to see what happens with that. But yeah, just let's keep it at that timing. Um, you know, we were, we were there, the use was there. Uh, who else? There was so many other acts. I remember that my he signed, he signed my, my chemical romance. Yeah. yeah. There was there was just so much going on at that time. It was it was so cool. But I will say I want to take credit as Avenged Sevenfold for uh, introducing Craig Aronson to uh, vodka Red Bulls at strip clubs because that's what <laughs> we were in a Chicago strip club one time, and he's all these are great. I feel great. I don't even feel drunk, and we just all started laughing our asses off because he's he's just like that. He was always just like that fun loving like almost goofy uncle like hanging out with the band when we were when we would go out to strip clubs and stuff we always had a great time it was it was so much fun dude he was the best and you know what's um 
what's interesting is my family is is still really close with his family and my wife is arguably i mean her best friend is Britt aronson mm. and i i race and i go out to sushi his son probably once a month and we just catch up and we're like really really tight i mean they're like they're my family you know and it's just i'll tell you man when i think about my kids and i think about what they went through god it's 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 just heart-wrenching i were you at the funeral i was yeah i was that was that was brutal man. what was there like three thousand people or something it It was, was like it was massive it was massive yeah. yeah, he was um, he was loved by all. I mean, in the end, that guy, I mean, I would, like I said, I'd go visit him at Warner Brothers. And he'd be sitting outside Tom Wally's office just waiting for Tom to have a break in between meetings so he could go in there and just fight for his bands and fight for them. That's what he did is he fought for, you know, the, the right marketing, the right radio support, the right everything. He fought for his bands. Yeah, it was, it, it, which was awesome. Which, I mean, you attribute a lot to that guy for the success of the band that I'm in. And I wouldn't, we wouldn't be here uh, without him. So, yeah. Cheers. You still talk to Andy? Yeah, I do. Yeah. We, we, we still catch up every once in a while. Uh, he was actually at one of the last Super Bowl parties uh, we had. He, my, our, our guitarist, uh, Sinister Gates always has a Super Bowl party and Andy's always there. He's there every year with, with Faith and Robin and like, we we're, we're still great friends with them. So that's, that's fun. I mean, like I said, he's he was a, the real good, one that, yeah. that he was the one that discovered us for Warner and then brought it to Craig and they were tag teamed as A and R for us to Tom Wally. So it was yeah. that was that was that was cool. That, that that brings me back to another thing though. You mentioned uh, I think it was when we were talking on the on the live thing that you're like, Oh, should be at back back to the beach right now, right? Or uh uh which one did you mention? The the punk rock on the beach? Uh uh, I don't know. I just I back to the beach is, is my fucking festival. So yeah. I, that's why I want to be, I want to be there. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, why did you guys choose, um, Huntington beach by the way? Cause that's where I'm from. Uh, I know John Reese, um, does his things there. Um, you and Travis are doing back to the beach. Um, what is it about Huntington beach? Is it just, uh, they, they give you the, the, the deal on, on taking the city beaches or what? I was on, um, I was on that punk and drublet tour that John Reese did with fat Mike. Oh yeah. And I, and I was just thinking, you know, fat, fat Mike has all of his, you know, uh, what is it? Bad cop, bad cop. And all, all these young all the guys on fat records. Yeah. All the fat records bands. And I'm like, why, why can't I do this? And I said, let's do a, let's do a Scott punk festival. I was just backstage with Reese. It was just Reese and I, I'm like, let's do a Scott punk festival. He's like, let's do it. I'll get the venue. You get the bands. Yeah. And I just immediately started calling, you know, like Tony from No Doubt and Angelo from Fishbone and just, you know, Less Than Jake, Real Big Fish, all these bands from the whole movement that I was a part of when I was growing up. Um, and everyone's like, we're in, we're in, we're in. Let's go. Mighty Mighty Boston's, let's go. 311, Sublime. Like everyone just was in. And it was That's just, right. it, it just was such a fun, it was such a fun event the first year. And I think we, we beat it the second year with Blink headlining and the used headlining. It was just... Uh, it was just so Dude, those, rad. Those festivals on the beach are crushing, like, or were, sorry, crushing. I mean, John Reese was 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 behind a lot of them. It, I grew I grew up here. We never had concerts down there. The only thing we ever had was the was the open, uh, the for surfing. And actually, funny you mentioned No Doubt. I know that No Doubt it wouldn't have been their first time playing in Huntington because they played the open back before Tragic Kingdom bro, uh, uh, blew up. So. Uh, 
it's just funny to see concerts down there again. What are you, have have you gone to Huntington Beach much before um, you were doing the festivals down there? What are your overall impressions of my hometown? I guess. Um, I mean, look, Huntington to me. I mean, I, I don't even know how many bands were actually from Huntington, but in my mind, it was like TSOL, The Adolescents, Circle Jerks. I mean, I'm sure all these all these bands were from different places, but that's where all those bands were from was Huntington. So I grew up in the Bay Area. So I'm like, dude, I got to go to Huntington, man. That's like, um, wasn't the Crow's Nest in Huntington? Like yeah, that old punk bar? Yep. Yeah. So like all, all those old, and, and I guess the crow's nest used to be next door to a cowboy bar. So there used to be all those fights. And so yeah, when I, I hear, I didn't know about that. When one, I hear all those, awesome. all those songs, I mean, that was before you and I would, would have been, you know, we would have been still in like, you know, elementary or little kids. And, <laughs> yeah. But I guess like all those songs, when I hear adolescent songs about, you know, f- fucking cowboys and all that was all like, about how pissed they were at the Cowboys. It was, it was because of that bar next to the crow's nest, you know, yeah. which is, it's just interesting to know the history and then to go to Huntington, to have a festival in Huntington. It's just, it's so rad. You it's, know? So, it's cool for me as a fan too, of, of, of all these bands. So thank you for putting that shit together. I got a little, I got a little gift for you though now. So what we're going to do here is we're going to play you a little audio. It's kind of a, this was your life, if you will. I'm going to give you a little audio and you got to guess who this person is and what story they're talking about, basically. Greta, whenever you're ready, um, go ahead and play the audio from the first uh, guest of, uh, that we have for him. Nearly a lifetime ago, I had the pleasure of spending my 19th birthday with John Feldman in foggy London town, which was made quite uncomfortable by a famous and infamous... Stripogram. Do you know who that is? <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's Bert. It's Bert McCracken from the Used, and um, and for Bert's birthday when we were when we were doing, we did uh, Blue and Yellow, on my own. Um, we did three songs in London on that trip, and uh, and for his birthday, like, it's so funny how like I'm thinking about the story, and I'm like, how much can I tell in 2020? <laughs> versus when we were going through that stuff in 2001 it was a very different era but i'm like i just want to get i'll just say the like the largest stripper that i could possibly get (laughs) for for bird who's not a big guy i mean he's no he's tiny dude especially at the time little stick he was a real little kid and like turning 19 and i just got the we got the biggest stripper and it was like she was in there for probably it must have been eight to ten minutes of just Whoa. like, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> grinding on <laughs> grinding, grinding on Bert. Let's see. Like, Let, let's go. I, I have a video actually from that audio that he sent me. Nineteen years old, yeah. foggy London town, the used recording our self-titled debut record with John Feldman, and he pushed really hard for us to be able to go and record in Olympic Studios, and four boys from Utah. Having never left the country, we were blown away. It changed our lives. I'm so happy to be able to call John Feldman a friend and a member of my family. And it's been over 20 years now of constant inspiration. He's one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. And I love him dearly. Love you, John. Such oh, we, a got good a couple, dude, we got man. a couple more for you here, too. Let's try, let's try and get through these. I'm uh, ready. All right. Hey, Brando, when you're ready, play the next one. 
My favorite memory of John and I uh, is the first time that he invited me over to his house to go boxing, and I accidentally punched him in the face, and he started bleeding. Uh, it was a really great memory. <laughs> yeah, I think you know who that is. That's what I get for calling him a rapper. <laughs> yeah, that's Ian from Arrested Youth. Do you remember this uh, story? Yeah, man. He, um, I mean, it's, you know, I'm pretty high energy, you know, in general. And, and so we're, we're like, we're training, we're boxing and, uh, and I'm just like, let's just go spar you and me, but don't, just don't hit the face. Let's just go, you know, shoulder and body. And, and he was just like, so spazzed out. He just like, you just, you know, kind of like give me a hook right, right here. And it just like blood out my nose. And it was like, it was for real. It was legit. And he hit, he hit really hard. All right, let's see what, what else he has to say here real quick. John, thank you for sharing your talent with me, your passion with me, your wit and comedic effort with me. Um, and thank you for sharing the joy of writing songs together, um, becoming friends, welcoming me into your family. Um, thank you for many, many things. I hope you know you've deserved the chance to just breathe and appreciate the incredible career you've had. So thank you, man. Oh, it's getting uh, mushy. It's getting mushy in here, man. I like, um, <laughs> I like how he said comedic effort. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Dude, that kid's funny, dude. I like him a lot. That was my first time talking yeah. to him was when we went live a second ago. That was... Yeah, he's a legend, man. That guy's, he's so talented. He's so quick with lyrics, man. It's like people just, uh, you know, take for granted when you've got a great lyricist. It's tough. Being a great lyricist is not an easy thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't do any of that. Uh, we leave all the lyrics, well, aside from like maybe a couple small things, basically up to Matt and the band. Like, you're the one singing it. You're the one that's got to feel it. You go write the lyrics. <laughs> so Yeah, oh, Matt's yeah, cool. a Let's, legend, man. What's that? I said, Matt's a legend, dude. I, I've gotten to know him uh, through some Grammy events and stuff. He's such a good dude. Yeah, they, yeah. Obviously, I love him very much. He's like, you know, he's him and the rest of the guys are a couple years older than me. So when I joined the band at 18 years old, they were like 21, and they were taking me under the wing. And it was ever since. Was, there's a little bit of a big brother thing that happens in our band. You know, and, and I think it'll always be that way. Like no matter how smaller the the, the gap becomes, you know, it's still like, yeah, I'm the little brother. I was the little guy that, that, that joined the band at 18, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, Brando, let's get the next one. I first started working with John over a decade ago, but one fantastic memory that sticks out in my mind is when we were in the studio late one night, it was right after Christmas, and his wife had gotten him this lovely coffee warmer for Christmas. After 14 cups of coffee throughout the day and true delirium setting in, he thought it would be a great idea to put his nuts on said coffee warmer. Let's just say it was a lot hotter than we both expected. <laughs> now that's a fucking great story. <laughs> uh, do you remember this? Uh, Jesus, I, dude, I singed my ball sack. I remember like it, it actually <laughs> stuck. It stuck to it. It was so hot. Like a stove, I had to pull my balls off it. It was like it ripped the skin off my oh. nuts. It was awful. <laughs> you know how you know how you can pinch and roll your nuts, and it's like 
Yeah. It's just whatever. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's going to hurt if just the skin. But when my skin like I, it was like I got burned on my nuts. It was fucking awful. <laughs> and I remember like, well, well, wait a minute. Why did like, you think that, that was going to be OK in the first place? Though? I just I just think that I was ran, I was pretty ramped up on caffeine <laughs> and I was like, I'll just warm. I'll just warm my nuts up. It'll be funny. It'll be fucking something stupid. It was but it was like chestnuts roasting like, on an open fire, right? Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a five-star review. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and become a premium member. You'll get to enjoy unreleased clips from your favorite guests, discounts on merchandise in our shop, and access to our private Discord server where you can chat one-on-one with Johnny Christ himself. Awesome! So stay tuned, stay thirsty, and stay filthy as fuck. Like, yeah, for sure. It was like Chet's nuts. Yeah, it was crazy, you know. But I remember um, with Brandon this one time, uh, we went on a songwriting trip up to the Central Coast in San Simeon. And at the time, I had had an Aston Martin at the time. And and it was like, I don't know if you've ever been in one of the, um, it was a DB9. So the back. The back seats are were just there for shipping purposes. There's no one can really sit in the back seats because they're so tiny. Not even a kid, but I could fit Dan, their guitar player. <laughs> I could fit, he fit in the back seats. I have a feeling I might actually be able to fit too. Dan's a little smaller than me, but not by much. Dan, Dan's um anyway, he could fit in the back seat, and I got the car up to 160 miles an hour on the straightaway on the highway one with Brandon in the front seat cranking that lead sales when we were in the middle of making the lead sales record and it was like oh dude I, i'm I, I still to this day i'm like what was i thinking like pushing my car to the limit filled with with other dudes but that's amazing it was fun. all right let's see what let's see what brandon had to say after that about you started working with john uh, over a decade ago on our album lead sales paper anchor that one with the plaque um and he has legit changed my life he has grown me as a songwriter, as a human. Uh, he teaches me to be a better person and to live life to the fullest. Um, my career in Atreyu would be nowhere without John Feldman. He literally changed the course of our lives and taught us invaluable information about making music and recording music and the ways to think about music. And I still love making music with John and I probably will for the rest of my life. I just love pinching that cute little tush. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a good dude, man. And um, we, we're in the middle of making uh, another, uh, I'm making another retreat record right now. And oh, awesome. um, Ashley and his kids come and stay at, at my house when, when, when we work together. It's like, they're my family. They're such, he's such a good man. He really you know? is. He was one of the first guests on my show last year. We, he, he, he asked me to make him a New York sour. I'd never heard of it before, but we, I figured out how to make one. I did a pretty damn good one. But yeah, it was, uh, I've known Brandon for literally since the beginning of my time in, in Avenged. The very first tour that we did um, that I joined Avenged on was a co-headliner with Atreyu up the West Coast. Um, I was 18 and I wasn't officially even in the band yet. And we were doing a co-headline with Atreyu uh, up and down and we'd We'd stay at, uh, at friends' houses of friends of Brandon's. He'd be like, oh, dude, just you could stay here, too. I mean, at the time, we're in a van. Any buck we can save to not have to get a motel, one motel six for the five of us to get in there, we're stoked, you know? 
So it was a lot of he such a legend goes back there. So like that's literally the beginning of my of my touring days as Brandon. And obviously, throughout the years, we've become extremely close. Couldn't be a better dude. One more for you, Brandon, when you're ready. I will never forget that time that John Feldman and I were in Australia and broke into a very popular fast food chicken restaurant's facility and stole some chickens in the middle of the night. Do you know who that is? <laughs> I love how fast Joe is. Joe's like, get to the point. I love it. I love <laughs> I love Joe so much. He's such a great, he's such a great dude, man. That's Joe um, Maviano, obviously. Um, wait, do you remember the story that he's talking about? Yeah, of course, man. We were, uh, he was working construction at the time and I just, he was one of my, still is one of my best friends. And, um, yeah, I just said, dude, let's, let's go on tour together. It's got, it's going to be more fun than it's going to be more fun than be working construction. And so I took Joe, um, to Australia, I think it was in, and we got off the plane and in Auckland, New Zealand, drove right to Raglan to go surfing, and he had never surfed. And I just remember, like, just paddling out. It was like probably like six, seven foot waves, and he yeah. we had cut he had cut his feet up walking on the rocks. Is like blood. And I'm like, dude, the sharks can smell blood from a hundred miles away. I was like <laughs> freaking about, like, like just totally freaking the poor guy out. Um, but I remember this. You know, I was really at the time I was really into animal activism, animal rights, and stuff, and. And Joe, Joe came over and uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling this story, but I, I had a I had a carrot and I put a bunch of peanut butter on the carrot and I pretended like it was my dick and my dog was licking the peanut butter <laughs> off, the, off, off the carrot. And he's like, he's like, we're going to tell PETA about this. And, uh, <laughs> that's that's some good phrase. Let's see what let's see what uh, message Joe had for you. I'll never forget the time that John and I broke into a very popular fast food chicken chain's warehouse a couple hours outside of Melbourne, Australia in the middle of the night uh, and uh, removed a bunch of chickens who were blind or deformed and couldn't reach the feeders. Um, yeah, John. We've had some adventures around the world, and that was definitely maybe the craziest one, waiting for that white van to pull up outside of my hotel in Melbourne, hopping in, driving a couple hours out in the middle of pitch black, looking up, seeing all the stars of Australia overhead, putting on a hazmat suit, and breaking in through a window so we could go save some chickens. Um, definitely the craziest moment we've had, but we've had some crazy ones, buddy. Other ones I won't get into on this video, but I just wanted to take the time and say, I love you, man. Congratulations on all your success. Uh, you've been a big part of my life in so many ways. I love you, dude. Yeah, man. We, uh, we did some, we did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of activism back then. It was, uh, it was a lifetime ago before I had kids, man. You know, at one point, um, at one point I was so entrenched with the movement right after nine 11 happened, like the, that whole Ashcroft thing went down and, and um, the Patriot act came into play. We got our house raided by the FBI, man. They came Whoa. at us with like machine guns pointed at us and a battering ram to, to knock down our front door. door. My wife and I, my wife, that's gotta be a scary fucking moment, man. I couldn't even imagine. It was imagine. so scary, you know, trying to, and they were they were trying to find evidence that I had done some some crime that I didn't uh, one of the ones I didn't commit one of the ones and, you didn't uh, do. <laughs> I love that and they were like they were um, it was really scary man I'm like I, I don't want to one of my friends had been 
just put in prison for some stuff. He actually posted a bunch of executives' phone numbers that, was, that were running animal testing labs online, and they were getting a bunch of threatening calls. And so he went to prison for posting their numbers, their phone numbers. And so I'm like, fuck, I don't want to be a dad in prison with my kid. I'm just like, uh, it was scary. It was really yeah. scary. That's fucking gnarly. I mean, I, I mean, it's great in a way that you had that passion. I mean, it's a, it's a good cause, right? But, you know, as you said, like that, that, um, that scary moment, you know, obviously is tough. But uh, that brings me to another segment. I got one last segment for you. It's not a video. It's, a, it's one that I'm putting together because um, every time I talk to somebody in the music industry, they know this guy and have a story. I mean, you, do you know Brooks Wackerman? Your drummer? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've only met him once when he was with uh, Bad Religion, yeah. Yeah, I figured it would be with Bad Religion. What was, what, do you remember that meeting? Or like... Yeah, yeah, so I remember, um, I remember with Brooks, I remember sitting, sitting on stage uh, <laughs> at Warp Tour, actually, sitting on stage at Warp Tour, and he was just like, fucking owning it. It was like, and I want to conquer the world. You know what I mean? Just like, give all the idiots a break. And he was like all hunched over, just like doing his fucking thing. And I I just talked to him after the show and I was just like, because I love drummers. I'm a drummer at heart. And uh, I just told him, I said, you are absolutely the best drummer Bad Religion will ever have. And you remember telling him that. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell him you said that. Yeah, the, the whole segment came out because like literally everybody I talked to, I, or I, t- I talked to him, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have so-and-so on the show. He's like, oh, ask him about that session I did with them. And if, if it's ever going to come out, I'm like, you've just been with everybody, other like actors and stuff. And he's just like, oh, I know him too. We did a session back in the day. We did this. He's just been working since he was like 15 years old. So he just like knows everybody. It's just it's just a funny little thing. He's so here. good, man. Holy yes. shit. Uh, we lucked out with that one, dude. It was, it was, and he's such a good dude. He really is. He's, he's part of the family, man. We're, we're really stoked to have him. Um, I guess that's pretty much it. We can put a bow on this. I just wanted to ask, is there, is there anything coming out um, that you want to push right now? What, 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 what does uh, John Feldman's life look like in the next uh, year or two? What, what, what do you got going on? Um. Well, look, like I said earlier, I'm developing this musical that will probably end up being a movie. You know, we've got people that are super stoked on it. So I'll be, I'm hopefully going to be focusing on that probably next year. I mean, this year we had, like I'm sure you and every other artist, we had so many shows canceled. So Mm. I just miss touring, man. I mean, this whole COVID thing, that's the thing I miss the most is playing shows. I just can't wait to get back on the road. But I mean, starting this label, I think we've signed... um, seven artists so far so i'm really focused on on just like what are the artists that we're going to be developing and how can i help them that's rad man and is there are you a, a social media guy do you have do you have ones for uh goldfinger the label the, you want to pimp out some of those social medias things yeah yeah platforms? I'm, my per, my personal one is that john feldy and that's twitter and instagram okay. and then it's at it's at goldfinger music for, for everything else. Uh, instagram Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Make sure you guys go check out more John Feldman, where he just said um, it's not too hard to find. And uh, for more Drinks with Johnny, you can go to the drinkswithjohnny.com, Twitter, Facebook, all those things. We're there. You already know it. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, cheers. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thanks to John, Ian, Bert, Brandon, and Joe. 
Thank you guys so much. That was a lot of fun uh, hanging with you guys and getting that done. Uh, this day, tomorrow, actually, Tuesday, May 26th, special announcement. I'm going to be joined live at 5 by Chris Santos. Now, Chris Santos uh, has Tao, the, organ- the restaurant and hospitality organizations um, that are based out of New York, L.A., and Vegas. Um, and they got hit pretty hard with this coronavirus. So um, he's going to join the show. He also is going to tell his story about his battle with coronavirus. And we're going to help raise some money for the Tao organization. Uh, I'm going to be auctioning off one of my signed bases from the last tour we did, the Stage World Tour. That one was actually played on stage, so I signed it. And it's going to be up for auction. There's going to be a lot of other items. we got a lot of other guests that are going to be coming on um, in the episodes to come. Uh, and there's going to be some really good, uh, fun things that you can auction off. Um or that you can bid on, rather, and that we're au- auctioning off. So you're going to want to check that out. Uh, more information to come tomorrow night. That's Tuesday, May 26th, live at 5 with Drinks with Johnny and Chris Santos, celebrity chef, who you probably know from Chopped. Um, I actually know Chris from back in the day. I think we went uh, when we were in New York for Mixing City of Evil. We went into one of his restaurants. Um, he's a really good dude, and again, he's had a bout with uh, coronavirus, as well as his uh, companies have had to cut back and put people on uh, suspension uh, without pay for a little while. So there's a lot of good people who are in the service in- industry right now, and Tao's doing their best to uh, help them get back to normal. And so I'm going to join him and, and help everybody get back to normal by auctioning off a few items if you have the means. Uh, there's also going to be some uh, lower-priced items that you can purchase, that, and all proceeds, 100% of the proceeds, are going to be going to towards the Tau COVID-19 Relief Fund. Uh, that is to help people who uh, have had trouble with this, and not to mention some of them have uh, had family members that have passed, and they don't have means to pay for their funerals, unfortunately. So that's also what this money is going towards. Um, so if you have the uh, have the means, check out the Tau COVID-19 Relief Fund um, and help support uh, a very good cause. And if you do have the means, please make sure that you pay to uh, tune in for uh, the auction and every and all the information that we have coming tomorrow night. So yeah, that's that's basically what I got going for you. Make sure you guys hit the subscribe button here where you're listening to your podcast. That really helps us out. And go check out Drinks with Johnny on YouTube. This podcast you're listening to right now actually has a visual for it and is on and is available on our YouTube channel. Go subscribe there as well. And, oh, follow us everywhere. Drinks with Johnny, pretty much all your social media. It's really easy to find. And drinkswithjohnny.com is the place where you can get all of the archives, all of our episodes, as well as some merch. Um, that merch uh, is to support the show, show that, uh, you know, get the word out, spread the word and help pay for the crew that I have at this point that is helping me to give you guys all this awesome content. Um, so if you can, go over to drinkswithjohnny.com and sign up for the newsletter. I put out a newsletter written by yours truly every week, uh, sometimes mo- multiple times in the week, and that comes out every Thursday. And you're also going to get 20% off your order of any of the items on the drinkswithjohnny.com. Um, that includes... A signature Schechter base. You can get 20% off that when you just sign up for the le- for the newsletter. So make sure you do that. 
Uh, I guess that's pretty much it for this week. Thank you guys so much for your continual support of the show. It's been awesome to entertain you guys and have so much fun myself. Uh, th- again, as I've said before, this thing does not take away from Avenged Sevenfold. That is, uh, that is and forever will be my main focus. But this is a nice, fun thing to do on the side for you guys. I hope you're all enjoying it. If you are, give us a good rating. Hit the subscribe button. All those things. Make sure you're telling everybody about it. The more we could get people around this, the more guests we're going to have. So make sure you're spreading the word to everybody. I'm so, so, so grateful for all of you guys for doing that. And uh, again, thank you. And until next time, as always, cheers. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.